Dawn's prisons, one of the places most associated with macho identity. Dr. David Maguire is an expert in prisoner masculinities, especially the adaptations of those lower down in the prison hierarchy. But in this first part of a two-part episode, we'll be concentrating on Dave's journey from council estate to prison and then to a PhD at Oxford University. My name is Omar Phoenix Khan, and this is Justice Focus. After spending time in and out of prison, David Maguire has spent more than two decades working with and researching excluded and marginalised groups across British society. Having left school with no qualification to speak of, David has made his way to become Dr Maguire with his PhD gained at Oxford University. His research has specialised in the vulnerabilities facing those in prison, mainly those related to working class men and around the role of their masculine identities. He has also recently taken up the position as the Building Futures Project Director at the PRT, the Prison Reform Trust. But he's here today to talk about his journey and his recent paper, Vulnerable Prisoner Masculinities in an English Prison. Dr. David, welcome to Justice Focus. Hi. Hi. It's good to be here. Yeah, great to speak with you. Um, Sounds like you're joined by a few friends in the background there. So um, under these lockdown conditions, my wife and I and my 19-year-old son are sharing a very small um, space. So I've, I've put myself in the garden in a shed. So it's a privilege to have a garden, but <laughs> in the, the listeners shed. might just have to, have to kind of enjoy the background yeah. noise of the birds and the, and the local wildlife. Yeah, well, I mean, there are worse background sounds to have, aren't there? Right, so to kick off, uh, I wanted to ask you about the fact you've worn a lot of different hats during your career. I know that you haven't taken what people would call the traditional route through to university. So could you tell us a little bit about your journey and what it means to your current work? Yeah, um, I always say that my off my work and my research are driven by where I come from. I, I mean, we, mm. you know, I think a lot of us put ourselves, our biographies play a big role in, in what we do and what we research and where our interests are. And, and I mm. think for me, um, a lot of what I do is, is driven through my own experiences of um, where I grew up, um, the people I grew up with, my family, uh, my experiences in them um, spaces and places. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, just a bit of background, I suppose. I, I grew up in on a on a on an estate in Great Manchester, I grew up um, late seventies, early eighties. Being very young, I was um, from a big family, a mixed family. My my, I wasn't with my biological father. My mum, mm-hmm. my mum's partner for, was from Barbados. So in a very early hostile kind of environment on on the estate, mm-hmm. I had a lot of. Um, siblings from uh, of different races um, uh, and mine and we 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 navigated our way around that space through through particular performances of of of, of identity of hardness of standing up for oneself mm. um, uh, i you know I, I education plays a big part in my work um 
my interests because I see how key it is in, in my trajectory and where I ended up. Um, you know, I came from an household where schooling wasn't a big drive or push. It was a place to mm. go. Um, you know, school was a place to, to just go to keep people from knocking on the door. You know, it was often a case of don't have the school board come knocking here. It was a place to get a school yeah. dinner, a free school dinner. It was never really um, a place for education. In, in the sense mm. that it wasn't that my, my, my parents, my mum my and my, my stepdad wasn't against education. They, I think, you know, and perhaps this talks to Willis's work a little bit, is, is that we, we kind of half understood that what was on offer at the schools that we were sent to weren't going to take us that far. Mm. Um, and, and so we was quite alert to that from an early age. So, so my own experience of schooling is I, I resisted and I rejected it. I ended up being expelled at 15 without a qualification. Um, right. I ended up um, doing really, really rubbish jobs. Um, jobs um, where I would, you know, I had a, you know, I had a work ethic. I wanted to work, and I remember mm-hmm. at 15 years old walking from factory to factory asking for jobs or getting bits of cash in hand work. And my first job at 15 was a night shift painting the shutters that you put on the front of shops. Skinny kid, a lot of it was heavy lifting, I couldn't do it. There was a lot of abuse on yeah. the shop floor from bosses them days. If, 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 if you didn't pull your weight or you couldn't do the job or you was costing the firm money, you know, it was, it was, it was, quite, a, it was quite a tough environment to be in. Um, mm. You know, I've, I remember one boss was, was quite physical and, 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 you know, would try and give you a kick or, or a slap and tell you to fuck off and, and get off the shop floor. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, it was, it, you know... <laughs> Uh, then, then were the options that were open to you, to, to, to you with, with someone mm-hmm. who was desperate to work without very few credentials to kind of trade for, 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 for work. Um, and, you know, that I didn't last too long in that kind of environment. There was a lot of people earning money around the estate in, in other ways and means. Um, you know, drugs started to play a big part in my life early on. A lot of cannabis, mm-hmm. those kind of solvents, and then, uh, the, 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 as you can imagine, um, mid eighties, the kind of late eighties, the, the big kind of scene, music scene that took off. I got myself very much involved in 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 some of that, and the consequences of that was I got myself deeper and deeper kind of um, dependent on on drug cultures and and drug use <clears throat> and it took me to prison you know i ended up and uh, you know even before that i was in and out of police stations in and out of courts you know stealing yeah. motorbikes stealing pedal bikes stealing cars i I'd had a, you know I, I i wasn't you know i had had some kind of history of getting into trouble but uh and so how old were you when you first actually went to prison when i first actually went to prison i was mid-20s perhaps um, mm-hmm. and that was for a you know all my all my um all my times in and out and around the criminal justice system was was either vehicle um related or drug related mm. um and you know i i i 
I landed up in and out of, of, of prisons, lost a lot of my um, a lot of my twenties, I'd say, in and out of prison. <coughs> For me, um, I remember landing in prison, not being able to. You know, I had a I had a substantial drug habit too, which played a key part. But I remember landing in in in, in prison, unable to read, unable to write a letter home. Um, you know, it, it it was it was it, it was um. You know, it was it it was quite a it was quite a tough experience, really. But I knew. Mm. You know, I knew, and and I suppose I don't want to preempt my work because a lot of this informed what I went on to do. But yeah, but, but for you know, I I learned. It was only at post these journeys that I'm able to have some kind of analytical lens or, or framework to understand how I got there and what my role was in it and yeah. what, what perhaps other structures, structural forces was in it. But um, well, at the time, you're just trying to cope and you know, stay, get through it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but I, I suppose I, I, I often knew that there was a couple of things that was key in my journey and it say it in my work is looking back my, my journey to prison started a long time before I actually got there um, mm. and these these were different ways of, of, of navigating particular groups and identities on the on the streets of my estate in my school in in the in the other um, spaces that I would find myself in there's, there's, mm. a, there's a there's a coping and, and survival strategy I I would argue for being around other other men in them spaces um, mm. and this is what comes out in my work yeah definitely but, but, but what I in in, in in coming in in the first days of prison unable to read unable to write not not a lot of support from the outside I'd burnt a lot of bridges you know I I, I was um I was savvy enough to know that there, there was a way to get out earlier than I needed. You know, I didn't. There was methods to work to get out a lot earlier right. than serving my full sentence, and and some of them avenues was education within prison. And mm. uh, in fairness, a lot of even at my level, I, I, uh, the education then and props to a, a large extent now wasn't massively stimulating it was it was um you know it it it, it was very childlike type of education i found and um, right but then you know I, and people who know me and know about some of the work i do and talk you know i i i, I this idea what criminologists talk about not criminologists sociologists perhaps more talk about these these critical moments or these critical encounters and they can be both a, mm. a, um, an encounter that will spiral send you on a spiral downwards or it can be an, an encounter with a significant person that that'll have an impact on 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 a particular kind of journey upward and and my particular encounter was with a teacher, a volunteer teacher that was in no way affiliated to to um, prison performance or, or seats on bums education. It was a volunteer who would come yeah. in to try and stimulate interests and um, subjects that that resonate with who we are and where we come from. And 
and that mm. kind of she she captured I'd say she captured me she captured most of who was who, who was in her in her class and um, you know she recognised that I had particular struggles in writing and, and stuff like that and that for me was 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 a was a was a was a, was a moment really that you know I my education journey started there and I suppose what do you think she did differently to the other teachers I know it sounds like they were just following book learning yeah. Did she see something different? I think she had a way of of of, um, of having us believe that we had something to say, something of value to say, mm. um, and certainly with me, she she convinced me that I had some intelligence, and that wasn't a thing that was um, that wasn't something that was often spoken. You know, we come from mm. communities where uh, our peer groups were, were, you know, we don't often say to each other, do you know what, you're really super bright, you're really, can, you know, we don't often recognise mm. some of them, str well, we didn't, I don't want to speak for, you know, I, 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 it wasn't that we was not compassionate to one another, we just didn't talk about what we were good at and where we might go and and stuff like that. Anyway, she yeah. she was able to to help me recognise things in myself that nobody else had. Um, she was interested in what I had to say. She saw past the spelling and the grammar and saw the content in what I was saying. Um, mm. She was quite, you know, she, she was quite special, really. Um, but what she did do is, and, and you know... She she recognised that I had a particular kind of learning style, a learning difference of, of you know, I, I and I went and got assessed for all this stuff, and it was and she was right, it was identified, and that's mm. post prison my um, my journey to 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 um, to higher education began, and you know I I went to Goldsmiths and did a an access course there, which was you know again it. it you know, the, the, for me, I was at that time. I had an appetite for knowledge. I wanted to learn. I wanted things to be different. Um, and you know, it was like a period of lots of little light bulbs going off. You know, these, I was being introduced to this very basic level social science, and I recognised there was lots of these texts talking about things that I that I knew about the kind of people, or I was certainly. Um, drawn towards some of these narratives around um, research, around people I knew and places I come from, and institutions that I that I'd encountered. So that you know yeah. that allowed me to feel like um, like I like I had some insights, something to say, some knowledge. And at that time, was it reflecting back on the experience of people in prison, or at that point, you were just focused on on broader things? So, I've always, I've always seen prison as as a space that interconnects with lots of other spaces, um, mm. and identities, and how it intersects with other parts of our identity. Um, so I've never seen prison as something that that stands outside oh. of of our education, outside of our streets, outside of our class, and and and, mm. and in in many cases our our, our places that, that we come from. Um, so I didn't understand them, of course. I didn't understand some of this stuff at, at, at these 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 early stages. But uh, you know, I was interested in 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 how 
how other people have talked about people like me and, and people like my family and, and people like some of the 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 the, um, the others if you like um, mm. and I had mixed feelings about that I you know who are these people um, what are they saying um, what's the word I don't want to say <laughs> you know I was introduced to these theorists that I still have trouble mm -hmm. grappling with you know your, your Foucault yeah. and your butlers and, and, and these kind of people perhaps more so in, in, yeah. in my um, in my undergrad studies and and they would and again it was just these light bulbs moments going on you know all these different identities these avenues that I tried to kind of construct for myself and and mm. these people who I give authority to allow to define particular parts of who I am and, who, and, 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 and how people like us find ourselves massively overrepresented in, in criminal justice kind of mm. indicators in, in, in criminal justice spaces. And, and it, it, you know, it was a real, you know, I was one of them um, mature pain in the industry. <laughs> yeah. That... that that every lecturer will recognise and challenge everything that you put on a PowerPoint or um, yeah. <laughs> any 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 bit of reading that you might have asked me to um, to do. I think if you ask some of those that have to mm -hmm. teach me at an undergraduate level, they'll yeah. <laughs> they'll say, well, at least he did the bloody yeah. reading, but he was a flipping. Yeah, um, and he did your undergrad at Westminster. Yeah, I did my undergrad at Westminster, um, and I think it's worth. I think it's worth just saying, you know, it was openly known that I had been to prison, that I had a criminal mm. record. And in no way, I don't know if that's changed now, but in no way was that a barrier to me b being offered a place or entry. Yeah. Um, you know, I was given a lot of support. It was rec my, my learning differences of dyslexia and dyspraxia, you know, so that there's... You know, I'd get notes before the lectures. I'd, you know, um, mm. I, I, I did well enough to be able to open up opportunities to do postgraduate mm -hmm. study. Um, this, you know, the brilliant Birkbeck just across the way from from Westminster. I, 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 you know, imagine, imagine folk like me coming from an estate where we don't really know very you know, guys like me we never really talked about gender we never really talked about sexuality we didn't understand how, how these were political highly politicized terms um we didn't understand too much about what divisions of labor was and, and all this kind of stuff and and you know, just these these all these avenues opening up, these debates opening up, these categories of of these very kind of limited ideas that we was given from from our peer group, from our parents in many cases mm. about where particular groups belong, what particular ways we we should identify as, and and coming away from this and, and going to somewhere like Birkbeck and opening up these massive, brilliant kind of ideas around sexuality and identity and, and gender and and where someone like me as, as a, a white working class ex-criminal can contribute to them debates you know yeah it, it, it just it was just it, it was just it, it was a real liberating um, experience mm. for me 
so I, I went to, to Birkbeck and I, I did this um, postgraduate um, master's in um, gender, sexuality and politics. And what, what's worked really well for me is I've, I've stayed on a particular pathway. My, I think my undergraduate degree and my postgraduate degree have all looked at particular types of men from places like where I yeah. come from. So I just, I, I don't know if anybody li listens to this from, you know, who are at early stages of study or, or at different types of study. You know, I've just built on different things that I know mm. about over, over the years. Um, about people who 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 who, are, who I encounter every day, who I instinctively and and you know have have some kind of connection. Yeah. Well, I think it goes back to what um, you were saying earlier in that sort of recognizing intelligence in places where it isn't always or um, traditionally seen to be, and that people just because they don't speak in a fancy highfalutin way or you know use certain words or have gone to certain schools doesn't mean that they don't have genuine things to say and um yeah i don't know it feels like it's this it's a complete exactly, yeah, through right. sort of through that, of what you're saying that's exactly nailed it is 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 the different forms and expressions of intelligence and i and i and i um how, how, how some of these, these these are kind of hierarchical and recognised and, and lead to different types of way. I've tried I've tried to navigate mm. both. What? But I was really lucky in, in who I've encountered and, and the kind of you know I I think what is what is important to know is all my growth and my learning and my academic kind of journey and my work. Uh, you know I've been I've been kind of pulled along by brilliant brilliant feminist mm. scholars. So you know. I, you know that my experience at Westminster, people like Lynn Siegel, um, Birkbeck. Then I was very lucky in that I got offered a place to come and study at, at Bath Uni with with um, Christine Griffin. Uh, and but then I got a, a, one of the academics whose whose work really resonated with me. Who was um, Linda McDowell at Oxford. Yeah. Who talks a lot around redundant masculinity. You know, and this stemmed from a cheeky kind of email post masters. I, I I sent a cheeky email to Linda McDowell at Oxford um, with my masters. I said I really want to extend mm. this. Um, can you see any scope of coming to come and work with you there? You know, within half an hour, I'd had an email back. Oh wow! Said, you know this this looks really exciting. Um, come and see us. Um, you know, and I got a place. Uh, I got a place. I got some money. You know, listen. This is just bonkers when you think about what happens. You know, I got I got a place at, at this geography department in Oxford in these places that I would never mm. imagine myself being. But more than that, and it was some of that, some of that's really bonk. I've you know I've done some of the 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 most awful kind of jobs you can imagine. Yeah. Um, you know, working night shifts, shot blasting, twelve hours a night for real shit pay, and that this these these people have actually. Who I said these people, I managed to get this grant that would pay me to sit in a library <laughs> and, yeah. and broaden my knowledge and and you know I've 
giving me a space to say yeah. something. People was actually paying. I, it was, a, you know, that first year in them in them Oxford libraries and them Oxford seminars. It was a it was a, a massively bonkers experience. Um, you know, I, there's a whole other podcast to yeah. say about where, <laughs> where I might have fitted in in in, in them scenarios. Well, and I you know it could be a whole different podcast, but I do want to ask you a little bit about what was it like being in sort of this the the pinnacle of the opposite of what he came from, sort of this this palace of privilege that is Oxford University. What was your experience in terms of being an older student there, being talking about masculinities with probably students that are much younger doing similar things? I'm very interested in knowing how you experienced it and your your thoughts around your own masculinity in that environment. That's a really good question. Um... Before I got to Oxford, right, they, I had an experience. I, I had a, somewhere else, my other work, I do a lot of work around substance misuse and, and young men on streets mm. and, and violence and stuff like that. So, but before getting to Oxford, I met somebody who taught me quite a, a, um, quite a life lesson, really. And as a, as, a, as, a, as a fellow a lot younger than me, but he comes from massive privilege. Mm. His dad was a massively successful banker. And this this fellow had the homes, everything you could possibly, you know, mm. a, an allowance, a, a house, a flat paid for in London. He had everything. Yeah. Apart from... Um, apart from... Um, he was damaged pretty much. His, 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 his parents was never there. His dad was kind of this real hostile, horrible kind of city, greedy kind of type. And we, we, we kind of had the... He taught me a valuable lesson about... I can't... I don't know. Maybe this. Maybe you'll cut this because I don't know. <laughs> but but he, he, there was something I learned from this fella mm. that... All the privilege. Some of our most privileged young people are as perhaps trapped in that privilege mm. and face some of the consequences of that privilege as perhaps we do in a different way. I don't want to admit I, this is a really tricky, tricky area to be in um, because, of course, I you know I know what it's like not to be able to put electric on the meter. I know what it's like not to be able to put food in the cupboards and families. I've been around that. I know mm. that. So I don't want to minimise the hardship, the real hardship. But I, I want to acknowledge that there's some challenges that come with privilege. So I kind of, I, I, I've kind of went in there a little bit kind of with some of the, this, this lesson from this close friend of mine that I'd learned a lot from. Mm. But I was looking that I, I entered a very kind of, a college that I think has a diverse kind of intake. I was at one of the, the, the better people often would say, oh no, that's a great college, it's great to, I was at St. John's, I think they have a. I think they have a, a good intake of, of people from particular. Certainly at the postgraduate level, I should say, when we think of Oxford and Cambridge, it's important to think about the differences between undergraduate and graduate study. I think mm. graduate study becomes much more diverse, and it's 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 not, uh, you know, it, it's a it's a great institution to be affiliated with. But I don't think I, in term, at many graduate levels, it you know, the, there's as much. You know, graduate is about us as a student and our independent mm. learning. But of course, we get to meet brilliant people like um, the the supervisors there. But in terms of my college and meet, I used to. There's a lot of there's a lot of um, parallels between the college and prison. 
Okay. In, in many ways, um, the, the type, you know, they kind of um, um, the the going to college for lunch for breakfast, the way people would all kind of mm. queue and sit down and eat <laughs> the different cliques that you would meet, the different hierarchies of, of, of staff and, and the different kind of outdated kind of traditions that they have and and all that kind of stuff mm. and, and so you, you could draw a lot of parallels, you know, the, the living you know, people living in, in the, these institutionalised type spaces and a lot of people who come from highly institutionalised boarding school spaces, there was lots of you know, there was, you could, if you was inclined, draw a lot of parallels um, I used to always be completely anxious of, of um, dining mm. um, always worried about who I might sit next to and they're going to realise that, that I'm a bit thick or uh, please don't talk about astrophysics or right. string theory or, or any of yeah. that. <laughs> Did it ever happen? Oh, yeah. It yeah. Did. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but what was great about some of the people there is, is and, and maybe this is something interesting anyway, is I met a lot of people who was super, super, super bright, but not, but was on, they wasn't interested in so much about what you didn't... I mean, there was always lots of people who wanted to know what school you came from, right. what university you came from. There was always those who wanted to try and position you in a hierarchy. But then there was these really brilliant people who might be in the maths department who, or whatever who really wasn't interested <laughs> about where you came from and what you brought. And they was more inclined to excitedly tell you about the different kind of... You know, they, they they just wasn't interested in them kind of social stuff. They was more interested in patterns or, you know, one of our neighbours. He was just this amazing maths guy, mm. and I could talk to him for ages. And then there was, you know, there was other inspirational people that, who I met. This brilliant statistician who who come over without, you know, in in you know, he he found his way here with no with nothing mm. and you know he's one of the top statuses you know there's just these amazing people who, who, who you encounter in these spaces and you kind of latch on to them as I did um, and but there are the usual kind of predictable kind of cohorts yeah of course I, I didn't really kind of I didn't live too much around the site so I didn't really encounter that but, yeah but there was still a lot of you know the it's a bit odd, really. I had I had moments where I would always, if people was coming through a door in the, in the department or in the college, I would always step aside and let them walk. Even, even, well, anybody really. I would just step aside and let them through the door first. I always, you know, I I, I remember <laughs> I remember painting the flat and going in college to check if I had any mail, and one of the porters said, "Oh, what are you doing?" <laughs> Which, which, and I got the right on, yeah. and and said, "Why? What? What do you think I'm doing? <laughs> <laughs> you know, why do you think I don't? Yeah. You know, my own kind of, um, you know, I'm sure there's people with much more valid kind of. Um, but anyway, there, there was them moment. Yeah. You know, it was it was often a challenge of of thinking people are going to ask me to leave soon or or, or whatever. Um, but it's interesting, and I know I, you're, the paper we're going to come on to talk to is all about sort of navigating the spaces with other men, and you've already talked about your own experience earlier on in prison. 
navigating different levels of masculinity and things and but did you do you find that you were doing that same thing then when you were you know sitting down in the mess hall or whatever it's called and working out who you should stay away from and who you need to talk to was it would you say you were navigating in a similar way or was it different yeah that's a really good question um i knew my so that's an interesting question right so and it's all about the different spaces that i encounter mm. so i would what I would do in that space, how I would navigate that space of who I am as a man, it, it wouldn't have very much purchase there. Mm. Um, and I'd end up looking a bit of a dick, really, if I started swaggering around. Because yeah. to, be quite, to be quite honest, hard kind of street masculinity wouldn't... You know, people would just avoid you, I would expect. Yeah. That aside, I mean, there was real kind of... You know, we, we look at men and physicality and stuff like that. Mm. I mean, sometimes you have to kind of when, you, as a man, when you go into these, as a man, when you go into these spaces where you could be compromised physically, you 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 learn certainly from prison experience and street experience. You learn to look around and you learn to look at who might pose the biggest physical threat yeah. and so on and so forth. Um, and I suppose in these spaces, you're not you're not as in tune to that, but you still recognise when there is somebody there who could. Hey, should you try and swagger around? Yeah, call you out. Um, who could embarrass you uh, you know there was big kind of world leading dead weight lifters and all <laughs> wow, yeah. big kind of big armed rowers you know you don't want to get into yeah, yeah. into a swaggering kind of exchange because then you know it only takes and I suppose I allude to this in the paper it only takes to be called out once yeah. in this scenario and and you know your credibility is gone. So, uh, so the, the the I suppose the masculine capital I had in them spaces. Mm. I didn't I didn't have a lot to. I didn't have a lot of purchase. I didn't have you know. So I had to. I I suppose I tried. God, this is going to be so cringy listening back to this. I suppose I tried to kind of keep a little bit of, not, not to give too much away. To just be quiet. Mm. Uh, Do your bed. Yeah, get your head down. Yeah. Do the do the paper and get out. Yeah. Um, do the PhD and get out. But I always felt like I had to prove my worth to be there. Mm. Um, you know, I always felt like I, you know, so I would obsessively read around stuff. I would always want to be equipped. My my capital, I think, was trying to be equipped for for my own expertise. Yeah. Um, because you know, I I. You know, I did end up having to do kind of um, a big college lecture to the whole college. I had to do a, a, um, wow. a lecture to the whole college. Mm. I had to do department lectures. So I knew my stuff. I had to know my mm. stuff. I mean, it was a, it was a terrifying experience. But um, I don't know. I, everybody, after I do stuff, would say, no, that's, that, that was really, you know, I, I think I, I handled myself yeah. in the... Uh, with the currency that they respect, perhaps more yeah. than that. So yeah. that's a really good question. But, you know, I think you give this example of giving that talk that is a very overt form of performance that you've prepared in advance and then present to an audience. And if we think about masculinity as a performance, in prison, sure, guys might want to swagger around to perform their masculinity to keep themselves safe. But I guess in this situation, you have to 
swagger in a different way not not physically but there would be certain people organizing their hierarchies according to a different kind of performance yeah, but a lot of them cut across and cut across, you know. So you would have you would have your kind of real, real kind of less physical, um, super. I mean, a lot of the currency there was because people, you know, eat some of your smartest kind of um, people will come in and feel. I, I, in many ways, parallels with prison. I talk about it in my paper. If you look at it in the same way as, as, as you would do in uh, Oxford and certainly around some of the college spaces and, and things, that, you know, a lot of these kids who were coming from alternative education spaces, who were coming from kind of um, street spaces, curse spaces, hmm. would be going into the prison space and worried that they're going to encounter harder, badder, tougher guys hmm. in them and how they might manage and live up and survive in them spaces. A parallel there, I suppose, would be is a lot of the smarter kind of super kind of um, kids were coming into these spaces where they knew there was going to be, you know, they might have been one of the best performing in, in the school or they might have been among some of the 10 best performing in maths or whatever. They knew they were coming into space yeah. where... And it, I, I, where there was other really high-performing physicists or, or bi- whatever it mm. is, and and you know I, I you know sometimes you know there were really people from where I well, not perhaps where I came from as much, but there were people who came from quite modest who'd worked really hard to get, mm. them, who you know who, who was super who had this super identity in one space and was frightened of that. Or anxious about how that would fit and compete in this other space. So that that's an interesting parallel there. I think I was relieved. You know, I didn't. I was lucky. I could get away from college and university life, and, and I had a, you know, I had a brilliant supervisor who comes from a very, um, you know, one of the first working class women to come to, mm. to, go to Cambridge and stuff like that. So I, I had a lot of good insight and direction. Um, on, in that regard and there was some real kind of very 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 a lot of people won't like to hear this but Oxford certainly at a, a, a graduate level there's a lot of very very normal <laughs> people from very fi- normal backgrounds yeah. doing very normal stuff yeah well glad to hear it um, I think it would be great if we could backtrack a little and directly address the idea of masculinity So it seems to me that for many people who don't work in this area or think about it as a concept that often people talk about masculinity and think about it as this one thing, usually the Western idea of the strong man physically able to provide and protect his family and not show any kind of weakness. But in the discourse and in your paper, we we tend to talk about masculinities as a plural, multiple different expressions or performances of masculinity. And in your paper, you directly talk about how most of the research has focused on hegemonic forms of masculinity. So could you tell us what that means and why you've chosen to focus instead on more subordinated prisoners negotiating masculinity at the bottom of the prison hierarchies? So, again, these aren't my ideas. Mm. I think I think anybody working and reading around masculinities and masculinities will will often start with with Connell's yeah. 
with Connell's work around gender and um, hegemonic masculinities. And uh, I think I think Connell was able to take us um, do much more than, than perhaps others to take us away from this idea of a, of a monolith of a singular kind of masculinity that we all do that's derived from our, 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 our sex and and how men have to live up to these very kind of um, limiting scripts and um, mm. I think what Connell and Messerschmitt's work was able to do was was kind of say well look not, not all you know not all men will do masculinity the same um, and it will differ depending on where these men are who they are what what class they are age they are sexuality they are but within all that, there's this, there's this normative or this kind of ideal that all men will try and live up to or be measured against. Um, and I think what, what this allowed us to do is, is or what allowed, what certainly grasped my interest mm. is, 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 you know, is, is that indifferent and and reflecting on my own experiences of, of how I needed to project a way of being a man in different spaces so that. So you know, there's a lot of there's a lot to be said of how I would project being a man in in my college space, and then I would need to drive back into my estate to visit family. Mm. You know, I would have to project a different type of way, um, as a, as a as a mechanism of not necessarily to stave off kind of violence or whatever, but just in that for me to feel um, comfortable, mm. for people not to see me as as some kind of victim. So. So Connell's work allowed me to see all that, you know, in, in, in particular kind of ways, especially thinking about um, all the work that he generated, that she rather generated um, around um, masculinity and education, around, um, you know, um, street masculinities and protest masculinities. Um, and the body of work that came from from. from from Connell's um, concept of hegemony, allowed allowed me to kind of understand much more how, in different spaces, in different um, categories, we 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 project this notion of, of masculinity, trying to meet this particular ideal. Um, I suppose in this paper, which is part of a wider study, really, um, but this paper come out. Um, of a of a an ambition to talk more around men as being vulnerable and vulnerable masculinities and what that means um because what connell's concepts allowed us to do is it re allowed us to recognize yes there's this dominant hegemonic masculinity but uh, there's also these other masculinities that that are that hegemonic's built on these subordinate kind of masculinities and and what many people would rather focus on are these they don't. I think it's not me who said. I can't remember who said. It, but you know, we don't use the full um, benefit of the hierarchical concept that that Connell's mapped out for us mm. um, when we constantly focus on these dominant forms. Um, and what that does, and and I allude to in the paper, is it 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 only gives us a partial look at who the men are. That 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 you know, it only focuses on on a part of of the masculinity prison masculinity yeah. uh, you know if, if, if we think that um, you know dominant masculinities are built on subordinate masculinities and of course every day these have to be earned they're not something that you wake up and you, you, you know you just you, you have it you have to earn it, it's earned daily yeah. and it can be taken away just as quickly so 
of course, then if we're only focusing on that, then we're not really seeing who the others are, and and that's what I wanted to try and put across in this paper. Mm. Yeah, and it's in the paper you talk about sort of the hierarchies that are in prison, and so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how those hierarchies are formed. And I know there's some discussion about according to crime, how intense the crime was, what kind of crime it was, or like the question of what are you in for. But I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about those hierarchies. Yeah, so I think I think we can go back to some of the classical uh, prison sociology and we can find hierarchies there. Mm-hmm. We can find these different this, these different cultures, these these ideas of, of the good man or, or, or the, the rat or the um, stool pigeon or Oh yeah. Or the, yeah. The, the guy who does his, you know, the gorillas and so on. And and I think what every, every you know, we can put a, a gendered lens to that and understand how that looks, how that works out with um, with masculinities. Um, I think when we look at some of the um, some of the work that, that that comes up stems from this classic prison sociology. So these ideas of, of um, adaptation or importation. Mm. I think a lot of um, penal scholars would now agree that there's a combination of the two. So people will come in. Certainly, I suppose what uh, what we have to kind of qualify that with, uh, certainly from my own view, is it depends what the prison is and where the prison is located. I think what a lot of carceral geographers try and do is recognise a bit more about the, the space and the prison and different ways of, of being men. Mm. And I, so you think of um, Shabazz's work where he talks about where, where uh, particular types of groups of black men are pulled in from these highly surveyed um, ghettos and fit much more comfortably in the highly um, surveyed prison space um, because of the, the, the ghettoized kind of communities that are overplaced and so on and so forth. So space is, is really important um, for what types of especially we think here about our local prisons and so on and so forth. So people are much easily import that identity into the prison space. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know if you're on the landing, if one of the known faces from one of the kind of um, peoples on the landing, that deference to that will follow that person within the prison space. But of course, that can be compromised mm-hmm. within there if, if somebody shows disrespect or, or whatever so there's a it's agreed that there's a combination of the two mm. um where hierarchies are built and, and some people just try and keep a coastline across them too and and do the jail um you know they, they, a lot of these are really subtle subtle kind of identities yeah um yeah when i want to ask you about you know, moving, I guess, hierarchy and the idea of masculinity are, are incredibly linked. And so your paper, you talk about prison masculinities particularly. And so I want to ask how you think these might be different. The prison masculinities might be different to masculinities on the out or you know, on road masculinities. And it, things might transfer, but there might be some nuanced differences. Well, again, you know, you got to bring space back into mm. it, and you've got to bring the conditions back into it as well. I suppose, I suppose, on, on, on within a prison space, you know, people are 
that there's that it's it's a much more intense space where you know we all know this is performance right mm-hmm. we all know when we, we you know we 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 might walk into a pub and we you know the minute we walk through that door we 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 offer a, a particular kind of front stage performance and and to fit in with our peers or whatever depending where the pub is or whatever or we go to a football game or, or whatever yeah. but you know we can we can we can shake them performances off once we're once we you know, a film or whatever in a, in a, you know in different spaces with people who don't know us within the within the prison space. You know, you're in a very small enclosed space where you're, you know, where where any kind of slip ups or fragilities or vulnerabilities are likely can easily be seen. Mm. You know, you're asked to live up to this extreme version of masculinities on in a very highly kind of surveyed space yeah. often reinforced and reproduced by the staff often kind of um you know the, the subtleties i talk about in my in my um in in my wider work you know of course we recognize again i keep coming back to it there's different ways of being in different spaces so we think about some of the highly violent um yp spaces that people like Kate Gooch and um, Beggarston have talked about, you know, that is a constant, constant living up to a very physical, um, hyper-masculine ideal. And the minute you show any kind of failings in that, you quickly become a victim. And the subtleties around that, I I chart in my work, the subtleties around that, you know, people talk about the trainer test, what size are your trainers, how you respond to that, fucking my size, mm. same size as your fucking wife. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, sing me, a, you come in, people here, you come in, oh, you sing a nursery rhyme from us from your window. These these are all different mm. ways of measuring in this real intense space of, for, of manhood. For those who haven't heard about those tests, what would be, so you've kind of given us the right answer to keep you safe, but what would, what would some other people do that would get them in trouble? <laughs> What size are they? What, 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 here, here. So someone might shout to your window, um, oh, look, Dave, we're all having a competition here. Seeing, Oi, well, they wouldn't know my name. Yeah. Oi, we're having a competition here singing nursery rhymes to wind the screws up. What's your favourite nursery rhyme? Yeah. And so you might sing fucking, yeah, sing, i tell you what, sing blah, 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 shit mm. for me. So you might, you might sing some out your window. Everyone's out the window waiting to hear your response. The minute you do that, your fucking credibility. Yeah. Is um, and what about the trainers one? Guy, the, the trainers one. Well, I, I think this. So in my day, you know, <laughs> trainers are massive. People yeah. like this. I think Yvonne Duke talks a bit about it. There's this brilliant person who writes about prison fashion as well. But the trainers one. What size are your trainers? Um, oh, I don't know. Try them on. See, oh, they look good on you. <laughs> um, you know, there's, there's, yeah. I mean, it speaks for itself. Yeah. But what I talk about in my paper, right, yeah. and, and and my work is a lot of these guys, and this goes back to your importation adaptation. 
a lot of these guys just don't land on these wings with these peer groups not having known how to fucking navigate these people mm. in the spaces before they get there. You've got to remember, they've done alternative learnings. Many's been in our care system. Many have been in the criminal justice system long before coming. They've met each other in probation offices. They, they, they know older brothers who's been to jail. There's a way of knowing how to, to respond to them challenges. Mm. Um, and if, if for some reason fear takes over or anxiety and, and uh, you know so I suppose what I'm trying to do with that example there is is people remember your your notion of being one of the lads or whatever you might be a wing bully or whatever your identity as a hard or dominant kind of male is built on your subordination of others on so you're always looking or some will be looking for opportunities to 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 kind of keep that identity and then you know um and and then but but there's a risk there because the person you're trying to do that and it's happened to me it can just turn and give you a proper slap and and your respect's finished so it's 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 it's, it's a different game mm. i think another but the subtleties of it as well are interesting and one of my respondents talks about um you know he talks about the simplicity of 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 the servery mm. you know if you're going down for your food right and a couple of your mates work on uh, someone's mate in front of you works on the servery and he gives this guy a big pile of food because he's his yeah. mate I mean sometimes staff are overseeing that but then you come behind and you get half a portion and the fella in front of you has got a big portion yeah. that in itself everyone's looking at how you're going to respond to mm. that you know, so there's these real subtle daily challenges yeah. living with other men, being around other men. That that that's where I think the prison space is different. There's no, there's very little respite. Yeah. You know, Ben and Ben Crew and Yvonne talk about front stage, backstage performances, and I know from my own experiences that you know you would get through them sort. Of, I mean, I'm talking about YP though. There's some of the extreme ends, but there's lots of different examples throughout the prison where you get through the day. Yeah. And I kid you not. When at eight o'clock they'd say, get your water, fill your flask, get behind your door, and that door clicks at the end of the night, and you, you get on your pad and you think, fucking hell, I've got through another day. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. And, 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 you know, that's that backstage where you can relax a bit more, you're not as, you know, you're not as mm. tense. Um, you know, and that's my experience yeah. I suppose uh, you know the longer you in the more you get around people you trust more because I don't want to I don't want to kind of portray this prison and prisoners as being this brutal kind of um, bunch that'll just kind of um, you know do you in at the any you know prisoners can be compassionate they can be caring they can be um, you know all different kinds of things to other men but I, I think it's important to recognise that there are ways of navigating these these spaces and strategies for doing that. And as men, your identity it's it's it it particular places in hierarchies which I talk about in this paper are, are up for being lost at any time. Yeah. Yeah, and I think um, it's interesting you you mention that because <coughs> a lot of people in the literature just naturally talk about this hyper-masculine environment without really unpacking what it is or providing any proof of that. And certainly there are these moments and this, you know, not to underplay the danger that is there, but it's not this constant notion of the hyper-masculine the entire time, everybody, all day, every day. Um, and it's interesting yeah. that you, you bring that up. 
No, I, I, I think that's a good point. I think that brings us to the to the meat of the paper, yeah. really, in the sense that what 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 this paper focuses on is a small cohort of men who maintained mainstream masculinities, who long before prison had navigated the spaces we've talked about, the the care the care spaces, the foster homes, the kind of residential care homes, mm. the streets, the kind of alternative learning spaces. They've navigated the YP prison space, but eventually that scrutiny, that constant keeping up to these identities was compromised within the prison space, yeah. so much so. And this this doesn't happen at, at every prison, but a lot of prisons, if you're compromised and you're at risk, you you, you know, the, you can go on the vulnerable prisoner unit mm-hmm. or you're, you know, it's it's strongly suggested you're at risk, we need to protect you, we have a duty, da da da, da and you end up on, on the vulnerable prisoner. And that's what this cohort ended up doing. Yeah. All these all these groups um, ended up um, on the vulnerable prisoner unit. But what I what I've tried to kind of do with that as well is is give a, an example of a small part of this group who didn't but was trying to navigate this liminal space between mainstream location yeah. and the VPU space because I think you're absolutely right when we look at a lot of the literature around prison and masculinities is we focus on this very particular core mm-hmm. but that's not a fixed term we know masculinity is fluid we know it's up for being compromised within the prison space you know Rick Cadelli talks about this um, others talk about it. but the minute it's compromised where do you go mm. how do you navigate that space so that's what I wanted to try and do with this paper um, and I think the examples I show these different adaptations to the space I thought was interesting how these different peoples um, responded to the different spaces so two of your um, protesters adaptation mm. where two of the main heads on the unit was men who had come from very highly um, criminalised kind of hierarchies. Um, <clears throat> one of them was in there for for allegedly taking out a very well a very well established um, player, um, and he claimed that somebody had tried to get themselves um, tried to get at him within the prison mm. basically. And it, the prison strongly suggested he goes on this unit. So then, and another one of the. Sorry, go sorry. Ahead. So then, so he's on this vulnerable prisoners unit, and just just to make it clear, like the, there's a very specific stigma with being put on the vulnerable prisoners unit. So it's a it's a big choice if you indeed are the one that to choose to put yourself on it to sacrifice some kind of your credibility or respect to go on it in order to keep yourself safe. And I wonder if you could talk about that so that we can understand what the, sure. what they're reacting to and trying to cope with by being on the vulnerable prisoners unit. Sure. It, absolutely right. It's a massive decision for somebody to make, especially in a local jail as well, because it doesn't stay within the jail. It's, it, it feeds out to... You know, we talk about stuff importing in, but of course, stuff seeps mm. out too. So, so you know, you take you, you you take numbers or you go on protection. I mean, all these terms already, you can see how they compromise in a very particular type of identity. Anyway, how do you do hard gangster masculinity against the category of vulnerable? Yeah. Um. You how, you know you're needing the prison to protect you from other prisoners, so you can already get a sense of how compromising this is to a very particular type of prisoner criminal masculinity 
Um, but it, 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 what happens there within prison cultures and certainly uh, back on the estate or wherever is, is you've decided to live with some of what would be perceived as the lowest predatory offenders who it would be your duty should you be in close proximity to 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 um, dish out kind of street justice. Mm. So, but you're, you, you know, because of course you put on a vulnerable prisoner unit where those need those for for all kinds of reasons, whether it's type of predatory offence against children or or women or vulnerable, um, or whether it's because you couldn't pay a debt or whatever, you end up on that unit. You get lumped all together as, you know, whatever. Um, pedos kind of beasts kind yeah of, um, whatever and sometimes you know it, it, it comes from all avenues so you can imagine have you been swaggering around the wing have you been on the roof kind of protesting have you been assaulting staff or whatever and then you end up in in this position mm. um, it, you know depending where you are but certainly in this this space that I was researching it, it was it was a massive blow to your identity and how, how the men um, responded to that was interesting. And I thought what I tried to pull out in the paper is that they, the way they responded to it was depending on what they brought to it in their pre-VPU um, like prison identity and criminal identities. And I could tell just being around, the, I spent a bit of time on the line, I could tell just seeing, you know, there's a very clear divide between everyone on them units anyway, mm. is, is there's those who's on there for, for debt and there's those who's on there for suspected informers or whatever, mm. and then there's those who are on there for, for particular types of offences that the prison code or culture would have a problem with. Yeah. And, and even within them, and, and Alison Levins and Ben talk about this, there's hierarchies between them. Um, even between you know these small groups within these different spaces mm. within the prison, so so perhaps between um, uh, different types of offences, so paedophiles will perhaps be seen as the bottom um, below um, your your kind of um, rapist. Or, yeah. Uh, not to just throw them terms out yeah. loosely, um, and in the same way the guys who were on there for debt or whatever would be separate from, from, from them other um, guys. But even within that, there's a lot of movement and hierarchy. Yeah. So Jeff and Jack was the two heads. They'd come on to that unit with already a lot of status and capital from, from their, their previous identities. And they tried to salvage, clearly tried to salvage some of that. Um, and they, they, they was the heads of that unit. But uh, even above um, Jeff and Jack, even Jeff wanted to exert that he was the gangster of the of the link, of the wing. Yeah. Jack was his side man. Um, they was keen to put out their gangster credentials. But their way of uh, the way of adapting to this unit and coping with this unit was by overing the others on the unit mm. and an over a very loud overt protest. And the language they used about those they had to share the unit with. Great. And so we're going to hear about some of these gangster credentials in the clip that you've recorded from your article right now. So, actually, no. Change of plan. Dave was just a little bit too interesting and his journey was worth talking about in itself, I think. So we won't be hearing from Dr. Dave's paper, Vulnerable Prisoner Masculinities in the English Prison, until next week. 
there was actually enough great stuff to make three or four episodes, but I think this is a nice place to stop for now. Check out part two, which will be with you soon, where we get into detail about the VPUs, the vulnerable prisoner units, and discuss the coping strategies and adaptations that the men in the study made to their masculine performances when on the unit. See you then. Cheers. Okay, thanks for listening. Hope you liked that first part of the two-part episode with Dr. Dave Maguire. If you found the pod interesting, why not hit the share button that's next to the track that you're listening to, and then send it to someone else who you think might also like it. I will also be putting Dave's Twitter and email on the show notes of this, and also a link to the journal article that we're talking about, so you can give it a read before the next episode. Speak to you then. Cheers. Cheers.